So then, who, ooh, goodness me, who is Jesus? Can I move it slightly away from my mouth? That would be good, because my mouth is kind of one of those mouths that kind of moves about a bit. Dread to think my wedding photos were like. But anyway, so, so really, a kind of contorted, so this thing is in the way. Anyway, there we go. But just to say, the theme is, who is Jesus? And you've already answered it, haven't you? So really, I could just be quiet and let the baptism commence. But I was given a theme, and you who know me know that if I'm given a theme, I'm going to do it as much justice as I possibly could. However, there are many, many weeks in which we're going to be looking at this theme of who is Jesus. So I've got to leave something for Andrew to say and the other people who are preaching on this theme. So I'm not actually going to look at that theme in all of the depth and detail, thankfully, that I could. A name for Jesus... One name for Jesus is the word. In Greek, because they nearly always are, is logos. And there are multi-layered meanings of what that word means, the word, the way in which Jesus is described. And some of the depth of that expression is explained by John at the beginning of his gospel. And I'd like Colin to read to us one of the most difficult readings of the Bible, from John's Gospel out of Jesus, who is the Word. This is from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and it's the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace, in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. 
but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. There's so much wrapped up in that reading. Not least the power, the honor, the glory, and the majesty due to Jesus. He wasn't a creation of God the Father. He wasn't a major or even a minor prophet. He was there with the Father at the beginning and is with him now at his right hand in glory. And our second reading speaks more of this. When Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, tried to describe something more of Jesus. Fiona, could you read to us our next reading? Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. The supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen. So when Andrew said to me, speak about who is Jesus, I wanted to know whether he wanted to hear about the mega Jesus or the micro Jesus. Whether we're talking of that personal relationship with Jesus or the global impact, whether we're talking about the immense or whether we're talking about the intimate. What scale of Jesus was I meant to be talking about? And it has been very kindly pointed out by Colin, actually, I've not done the prayer bit yet. I just launched into this thing. And actually, I think it's good timing to do it now, because even though Jesus is mega, he cares about the micro. Andy, I think, is going to come and bring some of the concerns of our heart that are also the concerns of Jesus' heart. And he wants us to pray 
and bring those concerns to him. So then, the question, and I shall endeavour to be brief. That's not a promise, it's just a hope. The question is, are we talking mega or are we talking micro Jesus? And in some ways, it's not actually very different. You see, Jesus does both. He weeps over the pain and the bloodshed in the world. He intercedes for the world at the right hand of his father. He is the mega God. But he's also there. And he intercedes for us. He's there for you and me in the intimate moments. By and through his Holy Spirit, he cuts deep into the trauma that perhaps we haven't even shared with others, not even written in the prayer book. It says in a song that I'm sure it says in the Bible too, Jesus, closer than a lover. And that intimacy with God is something that we have when we talk of the micro Jesus. Our God Jesus is indeed awesome. Who is he that the wind and waves obey him, said his disciples, but his intimate breath restores our soul. Now I have got a kind of introductory bit that I promised Andrew I'd give you, but I'm not going to, and he's walked in as I said this, because I wanted to finish with a declaration about Jesus. So I'm going to do this bit like really, really quickly. I'm doing the bit I told you I'd do, Andrew, okay? But you actually want me to save some time for somebody else to say something? I want you to know, and this is the micro-Jesus, the relationship with Jesus that I have, and maybe you have, but you can have. Jesus wants you. You know when you go to a place and people don't really kind of take on to you, you know, when they kind of sideline you and aren't bothered with you? You know, have you ever been in a room when everybody's talking to everybody else and you're there and you think, hey, I am here? That never happens with Jesus because Jesus wants you. He draws you to himself. He loves you. He died that you may live, that you may be restored to that relationship of intimacy with him and his father. He also calls you as he called those 12 disciples and many others at the time, come follow me. He also calls you individually. It says also in the Bible, which isn't very comforting, he chose the weak things to shame the strong. But there you go. We know our own strengths and our own limitations, but he calls us often despite ourselves. Because he has a destiny for your life and a calling upon your life. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he wants you to walk in that destiny. It may be a mega one. Or it may be a micro one. But God has got a plan for your life. Just before I go on to the declaration bit. I love this bit. I love this picture. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. 
And for me, it's like a picture of, of the Lord just holding me and just looking into my eyes and, and, and just loving me. And I can tell you, it's not just me. It's you. He wants you. He draws you. He loves you. And he has a destiny for your life. The choice is yours. I wanted to do the mega bit as well. Okay, the mega awesome God. And what I did was, because I thought I've got, I had a whole pile of books on my desk to read all of the books of Christology and I was going to absorb them all into myself. And, and as I did that, I turned some music on and it was Carrie Joby. Now, if anybody's got my two Carrie Joby CDs, I want them back. Okay, because I've lost them. And I've had to YouTube her to have a, a song whilst I was reading these books. But then in the middle of her song, there was this declaration and I thought, that sums it up. I'm going to have that. So you can YouTube this, and you can find it. And it was a lot better when it was YouTube than when I'm going to say it to you this morning, but I'm going to do my best. Because it's this guy called Isaac, I think, describing Jesus. If there are words for him, then I don't have them. My brain has not yet reached the point where it can form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. My lungs have yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. My voice is so inhibited, strained by human limits, hard to even sing the praises of him. If there are words for him, I don't have them. My God, his grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable. Strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable, indefinable, yet approachable, indescribable, yet personal. He's beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations, king of every nation. If there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my words, it's him, not me, are few. And to try to capture the one true God, my vocabulary would never do, but I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a saviour, a saviour who's both worthy and deserving of my praise, so I use words. My heart extols the Lord. Bless his name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and bound them together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin. He has welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me in. He's made himself the object of my sight, filling me with mercies in the morning, drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew that man-made words would never do, for words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. So he sent his son Jesus as the word, the living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. By his words he sustains in the power of his name. He is before all things and over all things. He reigns, holy as his name, so 
praise him for his life, the way he perseveres in strife, humble son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice, praise him for his death, that he has willingly stood in our place, that he lovingly endured the grave, that he bound our enemy and on the third day he rose again in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise him as your living king. Lift your voices, sing, for one day he will return to us and he will be finally united with us, our saviour for eternity. So it's not just words that I proclaim. For my words point to the word. And the word has a name. Hope has a name. Joy has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Praise his name forever.